I'm Theo. And I'm Juliet. And this is Apologies Accepted. We offer an entertaining look at some of the big issues in history by examining public apologies of the famous and infamous. We're looking at politicians, serial killers, actors, and you. Send us a public apology you would like to make, and we'll read it on the air and give you a chance to redeem yourself or just get some guilt off your shoulders. We're here for you. Once a week, maybe more if you're really, really sorry. Apologies accepted. The, the podcast. podcast. Live to you from Austin, Texas, and San Francisco, California, with I'm Not Theo. And I'm Not Juliet. And we're here today to talk about the Salem Witch Trials. But first, Theo, how was your week? My week. It's our What Shake and Bacon new segment what title. Shake and Bacon. <laughs> <laughs> that kills me every time. I'm going to laugh. Me too. It's awful because it is so dumb. But at the same time, I'm like, oh, that's so funny. Um, it's fine. It's been another nice, quiet week for me, which is always good. And uh, I'm a you little... were just telling me how boring it was. It's so boring. But also, <laughs> that is good. Right. Yes, that it, is good. It is good. You don't want drama every week. No, 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 no. I've I've had, um, I'll say decades, but then you know, <laughs> yeah, I've had enough drama. So boredom is good. Uh, the most exciting thing that's happened to me has been I bought uh, Henry a little doghouse so that Aww. he could like have his own little safe place. He's got a bed, but it's out in the open, right? So uh, cool. So I bought him this triangle house that's so cute. It's, it's from it's, um, an Etsy, Etsy, Etsy maker, yeah, Etsy, and uh, up in Canada, and um, I purchased it. It shipped. It hasn't arrived. It's been lost oh, okay. at UPS, so they're going to send me another one. So cool! Oh my god, frustrating. And then um, I had sent you a photo of this triangle house. It's super cute. And you had said. Cultural appropriation, because, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, it is not a triangle house. It is a teepee. And I hadn't thought about that at all. I mean, it didn't even cross my mind, right? That's funny. Not once did I think, is this appropriate? Really? Should I be doing this? I was like, it's a dog teepee. It's so cute. I love it. I'm going to have five of them. Um, yeah. So uh, it's now officially a triangle house when it gets I here. I noticed that you changed the terminology. Yeah. Uh-huh. And I'll say that uh, you're asking about cultural appropriation. One, I was just like, how could I not have thought of that? And two, <laughs> it gave me pause. P-A-W-S, oh. because of a oh. doghouse cute. <laughs> See, everybody I should have a triangle pun. house. And that's my long story about how are you going to put it in the thing. living room or where are you going to put it? It's going to go in the bedroom. Um, okay. And hopefully he will use it throughout the day if and when he needs yeah. just his own quiet time. time. And yeah. who knows, right? Awesome. If it's not, a really cute it's house. It's going to look amazing in the bedroom. I mean, that's really why I got it. <laughs> of course. Of so course. Cute. It's like four feet tall. <laughs> He's a big dog. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a cute triangle house and when it gets here i can't wait to put it up and i will put photos on instagram yay your dog is cute too so that'll be a nice photo opportunity for your dog yay your dog will become famous instagram famous instagram famous yay instagram broke but instagram famous okay so what about you what you got 
Uh, I have worked this week. Um, it's raining like a motherfucker, which is really good. I can't say that I've been able to say that for at least two years. It has. We haven't had a rainy season in at least two years, I don't think, at least. Um, and the the all the lakes and stuff are drying up, which is really sad. When I went to the Russian River a couple weekends ago, um, the Russian River itself was pretty much dry, um, which was scary. Uh, and I understand Lake Tahoe is no longer feeding the Truckee River, which is sad. And it's, uh, yeah, things are things are bad. So we need a lot of rain and snow. Um, it's going to snow a couple feet in the mountains this week, and it's supposed to rain five inches here uh, today in the next 24 hours. So hopefully it will do that. We'll get a lot of rain, and it'll keep raining through the year until uh, March or something. But I don't know. Keep my fingers crossed. But with global warming the way it is, probably won't happen. So, depressing. Well, that's our weather report on Apologies Accepted. <laughs> we hope that you have a cheery day. <laughs> Listen, right. we just have to explain to Mother Nature, there can't be a drought in California. I'm moving back. Um, hardcore ASAP, right? Um, Texas has legalized guns. It's outlawed abortion. It's made Delta HTHC illegal. Um, it's made what illegal? There's some variant of marijuana that it's not a variant. It's a variant of THC um, oh. that, like, it's not potent enough in and of itself. But then I don't know if it's like you take forty gallons of it, it gets you high. Um, they've been selling oh. it. It's on Amazon. I've seen stores in Austin that are like, we have Delta Eight. And so oh. it's THC, but it's like a really weak version of, of, I And don't you know, already can't get THC. marijuana there, right? Marijuana oh, yeah, it's, already, it's, it's so illegal, yeah. Um, okay. I think in Austin, it's decriminalized in that, like, they'll give you a ticket for it, but they're not going to arrest you if you okay. have it on you. If you're selling it, right, buy. Story. That's a whole other story, yeah. But anyway, yeah, so that, and then a Texas lawmaker this week filed some motion with the Texas State Supreme Court to overturn gay marriage. And it's just oh, kind shit. of like, you know, I know when I'm not welcome somewhere. And so, right. bye. How does James feel? I'm going to say he definitely feels troubled obviously by he agrees the with you. Yeah. political. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, right? But then at the same time, it's kind of like, well, this is where the business is based, and this is where right. it's always been based, and so it's not going anywhere. Um, and uh, yeah, I don't know. We'll see. But that gets into like, oh, hi, nice segue. That gets into societal problems and big issues, which I am not adequately uh, capable of discussing or addressing, right? Can't solve abortion for everybody. <laughs> you're not capable of discussing right. we're going to talk about this which trial today. we're going to talk about a big societal issue that happened 400 years ago and it's a topic that's near and dear to my heart because um i just love the 1600s um why I, well okay right why i wish i could tell you i okay. wish i could tell you <laughs> ah, no um i wish i could tell you i love the elizabethan era um and and mostly because it's the birth of the modern era. So early modern uh, is sort of the historic term for, mm -hmm. um, eh, so, I mean, arguably slightly pre-Elizabethan uh, era up through into, I don't know when early modern stops, but we're going to say sometime in the 1700s, I'm going to throw sure. it. Could be, right? Um, and I just love 
that one, it's enough distance that we can look back and say, ah, oh, culturally, this was happening and that was happening. And it's far enough removed that things like uh, deaths are remote and so mm-hmm. not as shocking. They're more interesting stories now, right? We're going to be talking about 20 people who were executed. And yeah. that's uh, not something we would typically do on this show, but it's right. it's remote enough that it's a story. And so why not? And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll make it fun. Um, we're moving into Halloween. <laughs> no, right. We're going to make it fun. We're going to make the execution so fun. So um, fun. And yes, it is Halloween season. It is Halloween season. And so what are we going to do? We're going to do the Salem Witch Trials, which is Halloween. Uh, yeah. But that's why I love the 1600s, because it's just, it's, it's, it's a mirror of our own time. And we okay. can look back and see what the culture overall was doing, what changes were being made. Um, how those cultural changes impacted the way people lived their lives and how they responded to those cultural changes. And then we can take a look at that and say, what about today? What are we doing? Right. Um, Yep. And yeah. um, So I get, let's go. Right. Let's go. Let's dive right in. So tell us about the Salem witch trials. When did they happen? Well, they, the Salem witch trials began, um, Really, the Salem witch trials, for me, are about people, um, individuals. So let's start with a little girl named Ann Putnam. Um, She was 11 years old in 1692, and she's the daughter of one of the prominent families of Salem Village, which is today called Danvers. Um, So Salem Village was a frontier town, and it was close to the front line of the Indian Wars, uh, King William's War was raging. This was the English fighting the French in America, and the French were employing the Native Americans to harass the English. Um, so it was a it was an era in which any moment you could be killed. Uh, there could be a um, a war party that would come in and sack your village, right? Um, you were just constantly on the lookout for death. Right. Various dangers. Yep. Uh, so uh, Ann Putnam is a junior. She's named after her mother. Her father is Thomas Putnam, and he's a leading voice in a village of 600 people. The Putnams were an old family in Salem. They had been there for um, a good handful <laughs> a year. Well, I, you know, I was going to say generations, <laughs> but really this is like the second, third generation of, of uh-huh. Americans. So um, they got there early. We can say that. Yep. They'd been there yep. for easily a generation. They were first or second generation born Americans. Um, and they'd been wealthy. Uh, the Putnam right. family, Ann's father, was starting to lose his uh, his money so his mm. father died and left all of his estates. Tom Putnam, Anne's dad, uh, her grandfather died. And when the grandfather died, he left all the money to his uh, youngest son, who was a half-brother. And I see. the half-brother married into the enemy family of the Putnam family. And so this starts to get into a lot of... Um, familial relationships and it just it'll start to get messy and there's a lot of names okay so Anne's a 12 year old girl 
and Salem. Um, do you have anything on what it would have been like to be a 12 year old girl in Salem? Well, obviously it would have been challenging. Um, it, the, the roles for women were very strict at that time. So you were expected to be basically, um, a wife and a mother and to raise a godly child. So, um, I imagine for the young kids, there was no such thing as a teenager at that time. So they were still considered children at that age. Um, and they were expected to be, um, good girls, you know, obedient and, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Christ-like, I suppose. So I can only imagine that that would be a challenge for a child of that age. Um, That's a high bar to be Christ-like. high bar. Jeez. (laughs) Yeah, um, I can only imagine that it was very oppressive and no fun. Totally imagine it was no fun at all. Um, All the fun was with the guys, and uh, that fun was really not fun. You know, that's basically... Uh, because we do have some Gen Zers, we have some 13-year-olds who listen to us actively. Hi, kids. Hi, kids. Go to bed. You should not be listening to us. <laughs> we and are an so, R-rated podcast. Oh, and it just occurred to me, um, we might be somebody's introduction to the Salem Witch Trials. Like, when did you oh, ever scary. first hear about them? <laughs> yeah, it's when you're a kid, right? Yeah. And it's yeah, yeah. always around Halloween, right? Yeah, like, yeah, true. Yeah. All right, we'll try to be factual. So, um, uh, yeah. Okay. And so there's a lot here. We're not going to touch upon everything. If you know a lot about the Salem Witch Trials, we're probably going to mention one of your favorite episodes, but we won't get into great detail because it would take, to quote Juliet, a college semester to do even half justice to the Salem Witch Trials. Okay, cool. So Anne grew up in a very rigid society that had very, it was, uh, what do they call it? Sexually divided when you've got roles for men and roles for women. Um, gender-based? Yeah, well, gender-based, yes. But so uh, so everything followed, yeah, gender-based roles, right? Women had yeah. certain behaviors they were expected to perform and they had duties they had to do, right? Suck yep. to be a woman. Better to be a man, but there was a lot yep. of work, right? Because basically yep. you just got off of a ship and you stood on a mud bank. Yeah. And then yeah. you had to build a house and you had you to, to make... build a house on it. Oh, what a nightmare. Find stones to it. make a chimney, right? Craziness. Clothes. You have to make them. Yep. Yeah. Out so, of nothing. Welcome to my nudist colony of New America. <laughs> Where we live. <laughs> Where all the lazy dirt, people come. The dishes. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, see, the hilarity has already started. We thought this was going to be a a sad podcast. Um, Okay, so uh, Salem Town, sorry, I lied, Salem Village um, Village. is where a lot of the accusers, the young girls who accuse witches, lived. Salem Town was a port city that was about five miles away, and that's where the trials happened. Salem Town became Salem well, we know of a Salem, yes. and that's where the witches yes. were imprisoned. And I, I hate to use the word, but I'm going to keep using the word witches, right? Sure. Because it's that Halloween, and we're going to go with the fun aspect of it. Um, and uh, let's see. And Salem Town also was, if you think of it as like the mother city, that's where Salem Village sent its food. It sent taxes. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Salem Town was also where the big real church was Salem village had a meeting house and it's where you went for lesser religious, um, 
events. And because mm-hmm. God was the center of your life, mm-hmm. you went to church a lot, right? Probably, yeah. Every day you went to, well, every day you went to Salem Town twice a week. Wow. To go for, for to go to the I'm going to call it communion, but it, it, they didn't use that word. Uh, sacraments, yeah. to receive sacraments, right? Um, and you you went to the meeting house in Salem Village for prayer vigils, right? So Salem Village okay. definitely had the short end of the stick when it came to religious power. All of the powers okay. with Salem Town. And Salem Village had some issues around that because the five-mile walk occurred twice a week, whether it was raining or snowing or hot, and it wasn't really hot because this was a period known as the Little Ice Age, which ran from about like, um, I think it's 1550 up to the 1800s. And so oh. when it was cold, it was bitterly Ice Age cold. It Well, wow. maybe not Ice Age cold, right? but it was colder than we have today. Um, and so this sucked a lot of time out of people's productivity. They spent three hours round trip walking, and that's on a good day. On a snowy yeah. day, it could be a yeah. five-hour trek, right? Yeah. Then you spent your time inside church, and that's going to be a minimum two hours, right? Mm. So you can basically write off a good, I lost the math, but let's call it a good, you could write off a good six hours out of your lot. day twice that's a week. Of the day, yeah. That's a lot when you have to get back and knit some clothes together so you can walk to church the next day, right? Right, um, right. So you got to build your house. There was a faction right. in the village that really wanted their own official real church. And there was another faction in Salem Village that wanted to remain aligned with the town. And so what hmm. we start to see here is this divide between an agrarian society or the you know urban versus rural Right, Salem Town's the big shiny city, two thousand people, and Salem Village is the rural sort of backwoods mm-hmm. place. About six hundred people live there. Um, okay, so we're going to also quickly highlight this is some background about Salem Village. That Salem Village was close to the um, let's use the word Indian Wars, right? Um, and so because of its proximity to the front lines it saw a lot of refugees pass through. They would come to Salem Village and then work their way um, elsewhere. Okay. Some of those people settled in Salem Village. So you had a lot of refugees who had lived through a very traumatic experience, um, deciding that they were going to stay in Salem. So there's a lot of PTSD happening, right? Okay. Um, Okay. So on top of the Indian Wars, we also had issues in England. And sorry, everybody. I know this is just like, oh, it's already too much, Theo. Shut up. But (laughs) it's true that England had had its own issues. Um, They'd had a Catholic king in the 1670s, so about 20 years before uh, the Salem Witch Trials, who was um, replaced by King William and Mary, who were Protestants. It's a time called the Glorious Revolution that happened 1689. So that's just about three years before the Salem Witch Trials. So we went from a Catholic monarch to Protestant monarchs, sort of a forceful transition of power, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And the Protestants took over. And during this time, 
the Massachusetts Bay Colony, where Salem was located, both Salem, Salem Village, and Salem Town, had lost their official charter. So, right. not to get boring, but the charters kind of dictated what you could legally do and not do in terms of your own legal proceedings. So, yeah, you've got a courthouse. Yeah, you've got people that work there. But there are some laws you got to follow. Now, what those mm-hmm. laws are varies depending upon what your charter says those laws can be. So the charter that they were had been under had allowed for religious freedom, which oh. Salem liked because the part of the, as we all know, um, everybody who's gone to school in America will tell you that America was founded for religious freedom. Right. Right. Um, and that freedom might be yanked away by the new charter. So there was a lot of nervousness around what's this new charter going to bring. And the Salem Witch Trials happen in this gray zone, this gray legal zone between, ah, okay, we've got legal protections um, because of the charter. We don't have any legal protections. Oh, now we've got new legal protections, but we also have and slightly different legal protections, but we also have a new king and a new queen, and yes. nobody knows what's up, right? Right, right. So, tough. Um, let's see here. So, in... Uh, let's see. And, you know, I'm just kind of like, why don't I skip all of the laws and legal stuff because that gets real boring real fast. Um, is there anything that you have that I may have missed on... No, I think you're good. I'm just waiting for you to get to the girls. Well, that's it exactly, right? That's where everybody <laughs> to wants girls. to go. Get to the girls. Get to the girls. Um, and I have so many jokes I'm not writing right now. But, right. And and I think it's very important, not even I think, it is very important to understand the backdrop against which all this occurs. Because when we have our discussion about the apology that comes forward, we need to understand the pressures under which people were living, right? Sure. So there was a lot going on politically. And by I say a lot, I mean a lot, even even our Trump era and transition to Joe Biden, even that level of uncertainty, I think, doesn't even equal what people were living with when you have a new king, a new queen, a new governor, new charters, right? And also you're trying Religion. to live your life yeah. according to the law of God. Um, right. And so uh, let's go. We're going to start with the we're going to start with what happens. So Salem Town, the big city, says to Salem Village, all right, you guys, Jesus, of course, you can have your own little official church. Great. But you're still paying us taxes and you still have to send us men to help defend Salem Town. So you as a Salem Village resident, had to give so many hours of, um, I forget what they called it, but like being a watchman, right? Lo- oh, on okay. the lookout to make sure yeah. that like uh, th- nobody was coming through the woods to attack the town. Sure. So that meant time away from your fields, time away from your family, time away from protecting your own lands and potentially leaving your own family vulnerable to attack, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And uh, everybody, I apologize. I recognize that I am giving a one-sided uh, view of this history, and I am using words like attack and Indian. But in order for me to effectively tell this story, I've got to kind of tell it the way I was taught it. And these are the words that that were used, right? Now, 
Certainly we could talk about encroachment and uh, this wasn't one-sided. It's not like the Native Americans just decided to be mean to the Anglos that had come and invaded their land. And, and we right. get that, right? But just to move it forward, we're going to, I'm going to apologize. I'm going to be presenting a very one-sided view, but it's a story. And the story okay. only, well, it's not even a story. It's a real thing that happened, but just got to go with it here, okay? So um, put down your torches and let's return to Salem Village. I'll keep my torch here just in case. Okay, well, you're going to need it because I'm going to say something that's going to be like, <laughs> wait, wait. I'll okay. let you know. So Salem Village gets to do its own church, and they hire a minister, a guy named Samuel Paris. And Samuel Paris mm. comes to the village as the first official real minister. They've had other ministers who have been there. Um, and he brings with him a, an enslaved person, and her name is Tituba but it's commonly pronounced Tichuba, and that's the pronunciation I'm going to use. I'm all ready for these scholars who are going to come for me, right? Um, um, I have a question. Yes, I have please. two questions. First, um, these folks were Protestant, right? Yes. Okay. Second, uh, was Tichuba from Bermuda, or was she a Native American? So her race is a little... Barbados, I mean. Barbados, Sorry. right. So what we know is that... Uh, Reverend Paris came uh, from, well, he was attending Harvard, and his dad owned a sugar plantation in Barbados, and his dad died. Okay. And Paris okay. left Harvard to go down to Barbados to run the plantation. And unfortunately, okay. he wasn't a great businessman. Um, no slam. That's just what happened. He wasn't a great business yeah. guy. And the plantation uh, failed. And so okay. he left and he went straight from Barbados to Salem Village as the first mm -hmm. official minister. Mm -hmm. They brought with them somebody who was named uh, Tichuba, again, the pronunciation mm -hmm. I'll use. And she may or may not have been a South American native, or she may or may not have been from the island of Barbados. Um, she's referred to as an Indian, um, but that's a term that sort that of gets loosely applied to yeah it's everybody yeah, who's West Indies, not an anglo Indian, right india yeah what we know is she's not english she could have been afro-caribbean we we right. just don't know we do know that okay. um when i've forgotten his name and he was married to marilyn monroe arthur miller um mary when he married marilyn monroe no that's not it at all that's <laughs> okay. not we do know that arthur miller took a real hard turn with tichuba and made her black Right. Oh, okay. Uh, and probably he did that because she was enslaved, and most people in the 1950s would have understood a slave to be black. Right. The idea right. of an enslaved Indian would have just been what? Why didn't she just walk away from those people and go live her life in the woods? So, um, so he brings Tichuba with him, and Tichuba may or may not have been married to another enslaved person named John Indian. So John mm -hmm. and Tichuba are the two enslaved people who work in the Paris household. Okay. And the story goes, now we're kind of just starting to the story, that uh, Tichuba spends some time amusing two young girls who live in the Paris household. One of them is nine-year-old Elizabeth, who is uh, Paris's young, young daughter, and the other is 11-year-old Abigail Williams, who is his niece. 
Now, Abigail may or may not have been an orphan. Nobody really knows why she was living with Paris. Odds are she was an orphan. And then odds are maybe that her parents were killed in conflict. Could have disease or conflict. It's going to be one or the other, okay. right? Okay. They did not die naturally, happily, holding hands in bed asleep. Um, and so she probably brings with her a, a serious amount of trauma. Um, also, she doesn't have a real place in the household. She's not a daughter. She's not a servant. She's mm-hmm. a relative. Mm-hmm. But she's old enough to start doing some work. And maybe mm-hmm. she gets taken advantage of a little bit. Right? Mm-hmm. And so she's an outsider within the family unit. Right? Okay. Um, all right. So so Titibas, uh is entertaining the girls with this is the story no one's really sure about this right um entertaining the girls at with divination with fortune telling and right, what they right. do is they drop some egg whites into uh, some water and you read the shapes and you're supposed to be seeing your future husband and what's his occupation <laughs> and what's your life gonna be <laughs> right um, okay and one of the girls sees a coffin and this oh, no. scares her and traumatizes her, right? Huh. And now that she's not afraid of a coffin, right? And she's right. not even afraid of the prospect of death. And this is right. me putting my interpretation here, right? She grew up in an area, in an area, well, an area and an era where people just died, and they died in front of you, and yeah. and it just happened a lot, and sometimes very violently, and so. It wouldn't have been the thought of death. It would have been the promise of death, right? It's coming. It's going to happen. And so that, and I'm speculating here, that may have triggered the girls into what happened next. Because this is the big question about about the witch trials. One of the big questions is, how could anybody ever have believed any of this nonsense? But the other one is, what happened to these young women, young girls, right, that caused them to act out in such a way. Um, All right, so let's see here. So the girls begin exhibiting odd behavior. They're barking like dogs. They're running around the house. They're not behaving. Uh, They're contorting their bodies in odd ways. They're having spasms that almost seem epileptic and apparently were frightening to behold. Now, whether they're frightening because they're so severely contorting their young limber bodies, right? Um, or or it's it's frightening because the girls aren't acting like girls. Right. Right? It could be that too. Who who knows? But so the girls start behaving oddly and Paris is not sure what's happening. Right. Um, but he does think to bring in a doctor and the doctor says yes. bewitchment. Right now, yes. there are two things that could happen in the Puritan spiritual understanding of the world. Right, the devil plagued you in two ways: through witchcraft and through possession. Possession indicates a moral failure on the part of the person who's possessed. Right, mm-hmm. there's some you invited the devil into your actual body. Right, mm. whereas being tormented by a witch is something that didn't happen because you and your moral failings you weren't weak. Right. Somehow you're being unfairly attacked. So of the two, witchcraft is definitely the preferred spiritual uh, <laughs> siege, right? Right. Um, right. 
The other thing is there is this badge of honor that comes from being attacked by the devil. So why? What, Theo? What do you mean? Nobody wants to be attacked by the devil. Well, Samuel Paris might have, and here's why. Because the devil's threatened by goodliness and godliness. Oh, so and he's basically a saint if the, the devil is going to pay attention to You him. got it. And that's the whole reason. Well, it's not the whole reason why, because there's not one single reason, everybody, yeah. for the Salem yeah. Witch Trials. But that's another reason why the village of Salem believed that witches were real, but also that they were under attack because they are oh. the chosen, God's chosen people, right? They're so the, holy. So holy. The Puritan mindset was very Calvinistic. So the idea was there were only so many people were going to get to heaven. Everything's preordained. This yeah. is all God created, and he knows what's going to happen. Mankind doesn't. Yep. So yep. only, and I don't know if the Puritans believed in the 144,000 um, like the Calvinists did, yeah, but only yeah. 144,000 people of all of humanity of all time were ever going to get right. into heaven. Right. Happily, 50 of them lived in Salem Village. Through all yeah. of time. Through That's all amazing. of time. The, yes. What luck. What luck, right? So 10% of the town is going to go straight to heaven and they, and they are saved. <laughs> that becomes important later. Um, and so the girls are behaving weirdly in the Paris household. And there's an interesting little thing here, another bit of backstory. Are you familiar with the Godwin children? The Godwin children? Uh, I don't think I know who those were, no. Okay, good. Um, because this can, it can, this is, has already turned into the Theo show and my inner professor has been unleashed and I am loving lecturing. Go for it. So Reverend Paris had been friends with a guy in Boston who was also a minister. And in this minister's congregation, there was a family that had two girls that were behaving so weirdly. They had to be either possessed or attacked by witches. Mm. And so the Godwin children case was so huge. And I forget when it happened. It was pre, um, pre-Salem, but mm-hmm. maybe by 10 years, right? Okay. So could okay. have been 15, but anywhere... I'm going to say 10 to 5, 10 to 5 years pre-Salem, right? And the Godwin children's case was so weird and so striking, it became national news. And Cotton Mather, who was a leading um, theologian at the time, I'm going to make up some terms here, everybody. This is just to help the 13-year-olds understand his importance. It's kind of the Protestant Pope in America. Like, he thinks things through, and he understands God, and he's going to tell people, what God wants, and people listen and respect him, right? And so he goes to uh, to witness the Godwin children, and he writes about it in a book. And the book was a bestseller. Reverend Paris, definitely, there is no way he did not know about the Godwin children. And there was no way that his two, the two young girls in his own household hadn't heard of the Godwin children. So what happens when they do something naughty, like reading the future, and then get scared because mm-hmm. they see a shape that's frightening them and triggers potentially PTSD? Um, right. Well, they start behaving like bewitched children, like the bewitched children they probably heard about from their own father. Right. 
Gotcha. So, okay. So now it makes sense. So I was asking a friend of mine um, the other day um, what she thought caused these young girls to behave in this way. Yeah. And her response was that um, it was a combination of uh, hearing so much about about people being um, um, attacked or whatever by witches and hysteria. And I was like, hysteria? That's crazy. But I didn't understand also where the um, where these girls would have heard so much about witches from. And now I understand. So it would have been those those children in Boston. It would have been the children in Boston. And then also, this is a community that believes that it is doing God's work on earth and that they are the righteous. And therefore, the devil's only going to pay attention to them, right? Right. So um, psychology is not my realm. And so there's a lot of psychological stuff happening. That's probably the most uh, academic statement I will make this podcast. Okay, so... The Goodwin children, or the Godwin children, sorry, blame an Irish washerwoman for their bewitchment. And this woman is hanged on Boston Common. Um, So the two girls, the Godwin children, blame a witch who is executed. And she was the most recent executed witch pre-Salem, right? So we're, we're within five years of the Salem witch trials here. So... The two girls named three women, Sarah Good, Sarah Osborne, and Tichiba. Um, both Sarahs deny being witches, but Tichiba confesses. And of course, we can envision an enslaved woman. Of course, she's going to confess, right? Um, her confession and subsequent confessions are notable for being full of strange animals, an abundance of color, sensuality, tricksters. It has all the flavors of Caribbean storytelling, Right. Um, scholars are, they love Tichiba's confessions, right? She's the first person to talk about flying. She's the first person to bring up animals. She's the first person to describe the the dark man, the black man, right? And when okay. we say the black man in the Salem Witch Trials, we are not talking about uh, people who are African enslaved people. Um, we're talking right. about a dark man who can't be seen and black because he is evil, his soul, right? Um, right. But for all of Tichiba's like striking information about colors and and fantastical things that happen, her confessions are also really vague. The black man is tall and short. He's got white hair. He's got a woman's head. He's, you know, uh. winged, not winged, everything. It's just sort of like whatever's striking her in the moment. Nobody cares about the inconsistencies. Um, so all three of the women are found guilty. And so I yeah. just want to make, are you going to say anything about either of the Sarahs? About who? Either of the Sarahs. Uh, hit me. What you got? Oh, I was just going to say that. So the three women that were accused of, of being witches by the by the girls were Tichiba the slave, um, who was obviously uh, enslaved and did not have any um, control over her own life. Uh, Sarah Good, who was a homeless woman uh, who was known for her bad temper, for neglecting her children and for begging for money from her neighbors. And Sarah Osborne, who had been a woman of high social standing, but had recently been uh, the subject of a great deal of scandal when she moved in with an indentured servant before marriage. And then she did marry him, but she tried to claim her first husband's land for herself and her new husband. So she could also be considered, oh, and she had been sick and she had been prevented from going to church for several years leading up to the accusations of being a witch. So these are all three women were sort of living outside social convention. Yeah, very much so. And there's a real clear 
pattern where the girls start with the outsiders and they work their way up the social ladder. They go from outsiders to, we'll call them the middling sort, right? And then it's into the rich and into merchants and then into political leaders, right? And had they been allowed to go on, um, it would have eventually been the king and queen themselves, right? Right, probably. Um, Probably. So we're moving to some of the... Uh, some of what happened, right? We'll get into the human stuff of this. So that's kind of what started it and the background and the uncertainty, the political stuff and all the fears of of being killed in your sleep by, you know, marauding Indians who are wild and savage. So the first three are found guilty and, uh, and we keep moving forward and more girls start to join. Anne Putnam um, is probably the most vocal of the accusers. Uh, she's mentioned in the record 400 times, right? Wow. This is in an era where had this never wow. happened, she would have been maybe mentioned twice. And that right. would have been due to her family's prominence, right? Right. Um, okay. So of, of the early accused, 20 people are executed. Uh, people aren't found guilty and immediately hanged. They are found guilty guilty and then sent to prison and prison was no picnic you had to pay for your keep you had to pay for your food you had to pay for your water you had to rent the shackles that bound you right when if and when you were freed you had to you didn't get out of jail until the jail got its money from you it was not like we have today by any Mm -hmm. stretch yeah um Okay, so the strongest case um, for witchcraft was against a woman named Bridget Bishop, and she was executed first. Um, She'd already been named as a witch previously, a few years earlier, and she ran a tavern. Um, She um, mm -hmm. was known, apparently, for dressing exotically by Puritan standards, which I wish I knew what that looked like. Oddly. And yeah. Um, and uh, for drinking at taverns, which makes sense if she owns one, for fighting publicly with her husband's plural, and disregarding societal standards. Right? Uh, yeah, and uh, and some of her witch accusations. And I'm going to read this part from an accusation yes. because it does. We think of the Puritans as like sorry, um, the Puritans. Yes, as dressed in black and wearing buckles and you know, sort of pilgrim looking and not the case at all, right? Only in their portraits, black was an expensive color. It wasn't worn. People actually wore muted colors, but they did wear reds and greens and blues. Um, Blues were for servants largely. Okay, here we go. So Sarah not only was an outsider because of- Sarah or Bridget? I'm sorry. There's so many Sarahs in this. Bridget was not only an (laughs) outsider. Um, I love it. You're following along. (laughs) Um, uh, for owning a tavern, but also um, interesting to me, she's accused of night riding early on. And so night riding, what the fuck? Night riding is when a witch would sit on a man's chest and try and suffocate him in his sleep. It's a little sexual, obviously. Yeah, it's a lot sexual, but it's it's a little sexual. Okay, so um, Samuel Gray testifies that sometime between sleeping and waking, a woman appeared in his bedroom. Several months later, she reappeared in the same garb and the same clothes. 
um, he felt something that awakened him to find Bridget Bishop sitting at the end of his bed in a black cap and a black hat and a red coat with two eeks of two colors. No further description there. Um, while he was in bed with his wife, uh, Richard Coleman saw Bridget Bishop and two other women come into the bedroom. The two women were strangers, but this guy knew uh, Bishop because of her red paragon bodice and the rest of her clothing that she then didn't usually wear. Um, and she appeared to this guy twice. Uh, the second night, she took hold of him by the throat and almost hauled him out of his bed. In all three cases, her clothing is mentioned, right? So, yeah. uh, interesting. Then, um, some workmen claim to have found some voodoo dolls. Officially, they were called poppets, but our audience yeah. would understand them as voodoo dolls uh, in the hidden in the walls of her house. And whether or not this is true, I think it might be apocryphal, as she was carted past the town church uh, to be hung. Uh, yeah. Or hanged. Sorry. Oh, I did hanged. it. I knew I was going to do it. <laughs> um, a loud crash was heard from within the church. A piece of timber had fallen. And this was taken for proof that she was indeed a witch. So Puritans did not believe in coincidence. God controlled everything. So there is no such thing as a coincidence. Things just don't happen. Everything, right. every fucking thing is symbolic. If the wind is blowing, it's symbolic. It means something, right? Um, so um, English law required the confession from a witch or two witnesses to the same events of witchcraft, right? Bridget had so many people willing to believe that she was a witch. Uh, she was hanged on June 10th, 1692, just nine days after the trial started. Um, her neck did not snap because they didn't hang her high enough. And so oh. she was strangled for more than 10 minutes in front of a crowd oh. of her neighbors. Horrible. Sarah Good is sentenced and imprisoned next. Uh, Sarah, as Julia had mentioned, was a town beggar woman and had a foul temper. She also had a four-year-old daughter named Dorothy. And Dorothy Good was also sentenced and jailed for witchcraft. Um, Dorothy Good survived the trials, but she had a traumatic life afterwards. She was shackled as a four and a half year old girl yeah. in a prison where oh, her God. food came from people willing to buy her food. Yeah. Rats, oh. lice. Awful. Your toilet was a bucket. And it's not even about that. It's a bucket that didn't yeah. get changed that often. Um, yeah. And so she was never able to care for herself for the rest or of her kid. life. It's awful, 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 yeah. awful. I mean, it's beyond, right? Okay. Um, so while Sarah Good sits in jail, another three witches are convicted and executed. Um, the girls then, and we're, I'm going to skip some people, right? I'm just going to pick snapshots. So if I hit, if I don't hit something that you're like, oh, why are you talking about, you know, stop me. Um, okay. So the girls then step up the social ladder and they make some accusations against a woman named Rebecca Nurse. Um, Salem Village, as I mentioned, was only 600 people and 50 of the residents were considered the elect. These are earthbound saints who were guaranteed a seat in heaven. Right, hmm. you were just known hmm. because of your good works, wow. the purity of your soul, how your family thought of you, how what your neighbors thought of you. The, your proof was in your output, right? Okay. 
So out of 600 people, 50 of them were this good. Um, and that's not a lot of people out of, you know, not even 10% no, not of the, pardon? That's not a lot. No, and I'm trying to do math, and I'm like, that's 9.3%, not 10%, right? <laughs> it's less than 10, yeah. Okay, so, ooh, that's a good way to do things. That's a nice <laughs> little fudgy math. That less, It's less than 50. Um, so, cool. Okay, um, so she was a full member of the church, and 39 of the village's leading citizens, including a member of the Putnam family, so not Anne's father or mother, but probably one of their closer relatives, signed mm-hmm. uh, a sworn, basically a sworn affidavit, attesting to, uh, uh, yikes, Sarah, nurses, Rebecca. Rebecca. Oh my God, I'm going to do that left, right, and center. Let's just name everybody Sarah, and we'll talk about one Sarah. Okay. Right. Uh, about uh, Rebecca's goodness. She's tried and initially found innocent, and the girls have a fit in the courtroom, and the jury is asked to go back and reconsider their verdict. The jury does go back, and they come back and they say, okay, we want to ask Rebecca one question. She made a statement where she said, one of us. And we just want to know, what does she mean by that statement, one of us? She mean one of us witches or one of us prisoners? Well, mm-hmm. Rebecca Nurse was 71 years old, and it's known that she was um, going deaf or very, yeah. very hard of hearing. And so she didn't respond to the question, and her silence was taken as proof of her guilt. Oh, ah, no. Must be one of us witches, you witch, right? Oh, no. So the they're sure she's guilty. Now, here's the thing about poor Rebecca Nurse and the the dilemma she found herself in. God's chosen people, the elect, do not lie. You never, ever lie. Right. So when they say, hey, Rebecca, okay, you were quiet and you didn't say anything. And so, listen, just confess to being a witch and like, we'll send you back to prison and things. And she would not confess to being a witch. And what was known by this time, and I'll say known within the village, right, was that confession bought you time. Confession did not immediately send you to the gallows, right? And so uh, she would not confess to being a witch. Even after she explains that one of us is meant, she meant to say one of us prisoners, right? Doesn't matter. Uh, She's hanged on Gallows Hill on Tuesday, July 19th. And she died praying aloud that a last-minute miracle would occur and spare her life. Um, Mm. It's believed her family came that night and rescued her body and buried it on the family land. Mm. Um, We'll move on to Sarah Good. So there's this guy named Nicholas Noyce. He's one of the judges. And he brings Sarah Good forward and demands that she confesses. Um, People are, at this point, weirded out that Rebecca Nurse had been hung, hanged, Mm -hmm. because she's one of the elect. If one of the good God-fearing leaders of our village, a grandmother, can be a witch, what? Anybody's going to be blamed, right? So confess, confess, confess. And Sarah, who was known for her foul temper, 
it, I don't know that she did spit, but apocryphally, she spits and she tells Noise, I'm no more witch than you are a wizard. If you take away my life, God will give you blood to drink. She's the sixth woman to hang. Um, the girls next accuse Salem Village's previous minister, George Burroughs, of being not only a witch, but also the black man, the leader of all the witches. He was oh. up in the frontier of Maine preaching and was arrested in Maine and brought to Salem. Wow. Now, that's a big fucking distance, and that's a lot of trouble yeah. to go through, right? Yeah. But this is also the leader of all the witches. Um, wow. His trial is so big, it brings in Cotton Mather, uh, who we've discussed before, and uh, Mercy Lewis, who is one of the girls. Uh, usually they're called the afflicted or, you know, and the accusers. I'm just going to call them the girls, right? Okay. So, um she had worked as a servant in George's house when he lived in Salem. And she claimed that George tried to get her to sign the devil's book when she worked for him. She also recounted a story under oath that uh, he took her up to the mountain and he showed her all the kingdoms of the world and told her that he would give them to her if she would just sign this book. And she refused. Good for her. Yeah, good for her. Good um, girl. And let's see, another one of the girls, Mary Walcott, um, says during the trial, jumps up and shrieks, oh, my God, I've been attacked. I've been bitten. And then she shows everybody the bite mark on her arm. And everyone's like, wow, George, you attacked this girl while you're sitting here in court? And he's like, I didn't do anything, you guys. And they say, yeah. well, she's got a bite mark. We're going to test. So here's an apple. And they compare the bite mark in the apple to her arm. And guess oh what? God. The exact oh, same no. bite mark. No. So Yes. Hard to believe. Right. Now, this, um, this is a favorite trick of Mary's. She's done this previously. Oh, really? Another minister early on. As the accusations are being made and people are like, oh, what's going on? Right. Yeah. Um, his name is Diodot Lawson. I love that first name, Diodot. Uh, yeah. He comes to town to be like, oh, what's going on? What's the witches and stuff here in Salem? What's up? <laughs> and she uh, goes to meet him at the, not really a hotel, but at the yeah, hotel. The inn. Right. The yeah. inn. Right. right. Um, and as she's standing there talking with him, she says, Ow! Oh my god, I've been attacked by a specter. A witch sent a specter to bite me. And she shows him a bite mark on her arm. So she's, as far as I know, she's the only girl to produce physical evidence of bite marks. Wow. And weirdly, she does it twice. Um, wow. So, Interesting. Yeah, well, you know, also kind of points to... Hmm, maybe it's not mass hysteria. Maybe the girls didn't really all of them believe. Maybe there's some fakery going on. Maybe there's some shenanigans happening, right? Right. Um, she was a step cousin to Ann Putnam, and I offer this as kind of maybe maybe she wasn't entirely evil. Mm -hmm. The bite mark girl. Um, her aunt, a woman named Mary Sibley. Early on, when it was just the first two girls in the Paris household mm -hmm. that were being uh, acting oddly and being afflicted, right? Mary Sibley comes over and says, 
oh, I know what to do. They do this in England all the time. Whenever you have a witch after you, you make a little witch cake and you use some urine from the victim of the witch and you make a cake with it and you feed it to a dog and then the witch bothers the dog. Huh. All the sense okay. in the world. Makes Easy. all the sense in the world, right? Absolutely. So Mary Sibley had said, oh, make this witch cake. And it's the witch cake that actually Reverend Paris finds out about. And that, it's not the fortune telling, right? It's yeah. the witch cake. And that's what sends him over the edge. He's like, you don't go to the devil to fight the devil, you guys. You have oh. to turn to God. And I think wow. maybe the guilt of her association with her aunt is mm-hmm. kind of what led her to, like, I got to cleanse my soul and I got to accuse some witches. I see. So um, so George Burroughs is, of course, found guilty. And he writes a letter to the judges saying, hey, guys, no, and you're misinterpreting your scriptures and the laws, right? Oh, and also there is no such thing as witches, which is the thing that makes the judges say, obviously, you're a witch. Only a yeah. witch would try and tell people there aren't a witch. Right. So oh he's found guilty. And uh, even though one of the judges intervenes on his on George Burroughs' behalf and says, hey, other judges, are you sure about... Yeah, we're sure he's a witch. Okay, I just thought I would make sure you were sure. And you're sure. Wow. So, cool. And um, he is brought before a crowd. Now, when he is hanged, there are, I think, four other guys that are hanged with him at the same time. Uh, one of them is named mm-hmm. John Proctor, who's another wealthy leading citizen. Right, right. Um, and George, standing on a ladder with a noose around his neck, says the Lord's Prayer. He also mm-hmm. pleads with God to forgive the people of Salem because they don't know what it is that they're doing, right? Mm-hmm. And the fact that he can recite the Lord's Prayer and do so perfectly proves mm-hmm. to the watchers that he's not a witch because a witch, according to Puritan lore, right? And I'll use the word lore specifically on purpose, um, could not say the Lord's Prayer. Just couldn't oh, do wow. it. It's impossible. There Why were, didn't they all say it? Well, there was one, uh, and I forget which of the uh, witches it was, um, mm-hmm. but one of the women was directed to say the Lord's Prayer, and she did say mm-hmm. the Lord's Prayer, and they mm-hmm. had her say it three times. In court, uh-huh. you can imagine how nerve-wracking that would be, right? Yeah, yeah. Recite, Mary had a little lamb, but there's a loaded gun pointed to your head. I promise you you're going to say Mary had a little rutabaga. Um, right. So she had a slight accent. I don't know where she was from. I don't think uh, she was Welsh, but she didn't pronounce the word hallowed correctly. She I pronounced see. it as hollowed. And they were like, you're hollowing out God's name, making a mockery of it. You're uh, going straight to the gallows. Um. Anyway, so the crowd loses it when George Burroughs says the Lord's Prayer perfectly. And they're... And we'll get into this, um, and I'll try and speed this up because where are we at? We're, oh my God. Yeah, we're going to totally speed this up. So um, let's see here. So the crowd starts to lose it, and Cotton Mather steps forward and says, hey, everybody, listen, um, even the devil can disguise himself as an angel, and that's all the crowd needs to say, oh, yeah, you're right. So mm-hmm. he's hanged. Mm. Um. Yeah, and and there's several more. I'm going to jump into Giles Quarry because we're at 58 minutes already, everybody. And I okay. recognize, you know, to be a four-hour easily, I could do this for four mm. hours. Um, Giles Quarry is accused of being a witch. His wife, Martha, had also been accused of being a witch. She'd been accused early. Um, 
And they were of the, let's call them of the middling sort. And uh, Martha was hauled before the court and, hey, you're being accused of being a witch. What do you have to say for yourself? And then they bring Giles in and they say, your wife's been accused of being a witch. And he says, well, she does behave oddly. And, you know, (laughs) sometimes, sometimes I'm not sure what's happening with her. Wow. Well, that's all they need. So she's found guilty and she's convicted. She's not executed. Um, Now, Martha had been questioning, publicly questioning the girls, right? And asking people, should we really be listening to a bunch of children? Mm -hmm. In today's, you know, sort of understanding of the Salem witch trials, we always think, why wasn't anybody walking around asking, like, what's going on? Why are we listening to girls? People were, but those people were accused of being witches. And so... Giles is accused, or Giles, but I, I pronounce it Giles, and um, the court says to him, hey, you've been accused of being a witch, and he says, I'm not guilty. There was a formula. You were supposed to ask to be tried by God and country, and Giles stopped speaking after saying not guilty, and so well. it's, it's a legal strategy called standing mute, uh, okay. so he stood mute. He just wasn't going to participate, right? And then he says that nobody has ever received a fair trial, and he doesn't believe in the judicial process that's happening within Salem Village, and he has no faith in these judges. So he is not going to participate in this mockery of a trial. So they pull out a fun trick from a couple of hundred years earlier, still legal to do, and I forget what it was called, but we call it pressing. And so what they did was they brought Giles out to the public square and laid them down and they put some boards on them and they started stacking rocks. And each rock was mm-hmm. bigger and heavier than the last. Mm-hmm. And he would not say the magic words, I want to be tried by God and country. So this was not trying to get him to confess to being a witch. This was just trying to get him to right. participate in the trial at all. He laid right. under the rocks for three days before he died. Oh, um, sad. People walking by would see Giles lying there, no. right? Remind everybody, Little Ice Age, it's going to be cold at night. Um, That's awful. Yeah, okay. awful. And so I'll, I'll wrap it up to say that at a certain point, the girls start to lose power and they had been used as witch finders where some of the girls would be put into a cart and taken to a neighboring village and like, help us find our witches. Because the idea was that the devil was really attacking all of Massachusetts Bay Colony at this point. Sure, Salem was the flashpoint. Salem Village was the flashpoint because that's the holiest place in the world. But yeah, witches are everywhere. They want to undo all of God's work. And uh, the, I'll say story, but the recounting is the girls are in a cart. They're driving through some town and they see a woman just walking down the road, minding her own business. And the girls start to freak out. And nobody around them does anything or cares. The woman's not arrested. She's not attacked. Mm-hmm. And she just keeps walking. She didn't pay the girls mm-hmm. any attention. Mm-hmm. Um, and let's see. I'll And then I'll say, I'll wrap it up. Oh, thank God. Right? And then mm-hmm. I'll wrap it up with, uh, while Tichiba was the first witch, accused witch, to confess, right? And what a yeah. confession. She was one of the last people to leave jail. Um, oh. And she wasn't re- hanged? No, she wasn't hanged. Uh, wow. Reverend Paris did not want her back. And in order to get her back, he was going to have to pay yeah. her, at that point, 15 months her in jail, fee. a very yeah. considerable fine. 
um, for yeah. her freedom, released from jail, I should say. So he didn't yeah. pay it. You keep her. She's nothing but trouble anyway. <clears throat> and she gets blamed a lot for these witch trials. And um, she's she's struggling over the word here because I keep saying she's freed. She's not freed. She's still enslaved. She's released. She's released, she's released from, from jail. jail. Yes. Yeah. Uh, somebody paid her fine. And then that person, air quotes around, owned her. Oh, I see. Uh, she disappears from the record. There's some... Eh, some stories about some people. Maybe they, she was part of their family. Who knows? What we do know is that she disappears officially from the record. We know that she was released from jail and she survived. That's kind of all we know. Um, there's a lot there. Uh, there's a lot that I skipped over, but also I didn't hit half of, I'm sure, what you have. Well, um, I sort of went into a, the the feminist approach or the feminist Retrospective. I don't know what the word would be. Look back on the on the witch trials, and eighty um, percent of those that were accused, not just in colonial America but also in the European witch trials, were women, and they were usually women who were outside societal expectations, like we saw with the two Sarahs and Tichuba uh, previously. So they would have lived alone. Uh, they might have been healers or midwives. They could have been widowed and controlled property, which wasn't common for women to do at the time. Or they were poor and owned nothing. Um, they may have practiced religion differently or not at all. They were overly prideful or vain, or they complained in public, which all of which things were frowned upon um, in society at the time. So according to historian John Demos, the Puritan men that were tried for witchcraft were mostly the husbands or brothers of alleged female witches. So the Salem witch trials basically targeted those who were most vulnerable in colonial society. As women, as I mentioned earlier um, in the podcast, were expected to conform to rigid roles, that of mother, wife, or caretaker, and their, their real only job was to produce obedient and religious children. So women who stepped outside these boundaries risked being seen as working with Satan, forcing these women to pay the highest possible price for nonconformity. At the same time, since they were descendants of Eve, the original woman to fall from grace, women were viewed by the Puritans as vulnerable to temptations like desire for material possessions or sexual satisfaction. Um, being homeless, poor, or childless was cause for concern, and these were the women largely targeted by the trials. Women who were already seen as inherently deviant in the eyes of the biblical Puritans were an easy target for suspicion. So an example of the misogyny behind the witch craze is found in the famous handbook for witch hunters, which I'm going to screw up the pronunciation of, the Malleus Maleficarum, which is called, which is, which means the witch's hammer, by uh, the Dominican priest Jacob Sprenger and Henry Kramer. Uh, these men, these Dominican priests, claimed that the term female means lacking in faith, which is not true. Um, according to them, all witchcraft comes from carnal lust, which in women is insatiable, which of course is true. But <laughs> Of course, I mean, haven't you heard of Eve? <laughs> That's right, exactly. Uh, women were viewed as fickle, dumb, spiritually weak, and innately carnal, which made them vulnerable to the devil. So women were damned if they did or damned if they didn't in more ways than one um, during the witch trials, just by the fact of being a woman, she was vulnerable to Satan, whether she was a submissive servant to men or especially tried to live her own life in some way outside the norms. Um, but the oppression of women in, in these times was not just about religion and Christian repression. And I don't know if you have run into this in, in your readings. You probably have. Um, 
But Marxist feminist scholar Sylvia Frederici argues that the wave of misogynist violence and witch-hunting panic that gripped early modern Europe from the 15th to the 17th centuries was driven by the need to claim women's reproductive capacity and sexuality for the state and for capital. In very basic terms, women needed to produce new workers and new slaves. This was a literal policy in English America. Enslaved women of childbearing age were referred to as increase by slave owners because of their potential to increase their owner's wealth. And I have to give credit to this. This information comes from Jesse Kindig in the Boston Review. Um, misogyny with witch hunting as its signature, Federici concluded, was an essential ingredient for the rise of capitalism in the modern state. Women's bodies, enslaved bodies, the industrial workforce, land, and its resources all became, in Federici's word, the site of explo exploitation on which our world is built. So part of the purpose of the witch hunt and its attendant wave of state-sponsored misogyny was to make women's bodies a site of unknown and unknowable terror in need of regulation and control, and to make those controlling the bodies wealthy. So today, the criminal justice system obviously continues to punish vulnerable women in society. Most women who end up uh, in the correctional system, whether through probation, jail, prison, or parole, come from a poor background. They're vulnerable in part because more so than their male counterparts, female criminals often have extensive histories of victimization and trauma. A girl facing physical or sexual abuse at the hands of parents, relatives, or family friends may opt to run away, thereby becoming a criminal by leaving her home as a minor. Once a runaway, a young girl faces bleak potential outcomes. Many runaways end up in prostitution or retreat into drug and alcohol abuse. And witch trials continue to result in violence against women, including murder, as they have done from the beginning of time. From the hangings at Salem and violent 15th century European witch hunts to the 500 witches killed in Tanzania every year and the persecution of witch children in Gambia. In many countries of the world, women are still accused of practicing witchcraft. They are persecuted and even killed in organized witch hunts, especially in Africa, but also in Southeast Asia and Latin America. Even where there are no longer literal witch hunts, says Charlotte Van Hola, women are to this day expected to be quiet, cooperative, mild-mannered, and are persecuted when they fail to live up to these expectations. Women who show too much skin are too confident, too bossy, too loud, too much, and yet not enough, are vilified in modern-day witch hunts with the same motive as their historical counterparts to silence women. The stories left behind by women like Sarah Good, Sarah Osborne, and Tituba are grim reminders that women have all too often suffered simply for being who they are, but they are more than that. They are a rallying cry for women not to let themselves be silenced again. And Charlotte Van Hull says that part about women not letting themselves be silenced again. I have a little bit of a quarrel with that phrase because that's like saying... They permitted it to happen. They permitted it. If you're a slave, well, why'd you let yourself be a slave? You know, it doesn't really work that way. There, there's nothing these these so-called witches in Salem could have done uh, against their accus ac accusers. Um, and there's very little that women today can do against their their own accusers. It's it's uh, it's tough, for example, to be a woman in the workforce these days. Uh, it always has been. Uh, and there's nothing you can do when someone decides they don't like you because you're a woman and you've done something that goes against societal expectations. Because it can always be uh, said that you, in some way, just don't fit in with the team. So, uh, yeah, I guess the, the point that I'm making is that it was tough to be a woman in, in um, the times of Salem. It's tough to be a woman now, at least though we're not killed for being witches. <laughs> well, but I mean, to your point, people still are. That's... That's, well, I didn't that's look into uh, witchcraft in the modern era. Um, yeah. And 
while I'm aware that there are issues um, on the continent, I I wasn't aware that there were witch children in Gambia. I mean, that was a certain period of time, and it was all very political. But they still used the the term witch children, um, and it was is very uh, the the fear of witches is very much alive in some areas. I mean, I'm gonna say, uh, you'll be glad to know yeah. Sarah Good had the last laugh. Did she? She did. So. Sarah Good, when um, confronted by Judge Nicholas Noyes, and and where she said, "I am no more a witch than you are a wizard. Yeah. If you take my life, God will give you blood to drink." Yep. So he died of hemorrhage, uh-huh. and apocryphally, he died choking on his own blood twenty five years oh later. Um, whether oh. that last part is true or not, um, there you get somebody in history vindicating Sarah. By saying Nicholas Noyes did drink his own blood, he God gave him Ugh. blood to drink. Yeah, 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 just, just awful and terrible and icky. And so you know, lots of questions: how and why did it happen? And again, like I said, part of the reason I really love this era is it's far enough away that we can kind of look back at it and then use one word things to say, aha. It was, you know, it was the land grab. It was the right. economy. It was right. PTSD, right? Right. Um, it was very complicated. Yeah. I mean, there, there's so much of them. Um, for a while there, the ergot poisoning was the big one. Right. Like, I remember that. Oh, yeah. that, of course, was coughed up in the 70s, I think, when everybody was excited about LSD, right? <laughs> so, of course, it's every era takes what's happening in its own era and uses that to examine the past and then says, aha, look at there, right? So in the 1800s, the Salem witch trials were understood as massive land grab, fights for wealth, right? Um, Yeah. And today we understand it as political and religious strife dividing people along social networks. And that sounds real familiar to me. Because that's what's going on yeah. today, right? And 100 yeah. years from now, it's going to be, oh, they were living on a new planet. And everybody knows mm-hmm. when you live on a new planet, you go fucking crazy. Um, we can debunk the ergot poisoning for those of you who are big fans of it. I learned this recently in my research. So it's not. it couldn't have been ergot poisoning because ergot poisoning has uh, two signatures. One, yes, is seizures and... Uh hallucinations sure i made that Uh word up um Uh and the other one is gangrene if you don't have enough vitamin a you get seizures and hallucinations if you have enough vitamin a you get gangrene Uh salem town was a port city with a ton of seafood and everybody had to go Uh into salem town twice a week these girls had plenty of seafood which was rich in vitamin a so nobody nobody was suffering from ergot poisoning. Nobody had vitamin A um, deficiency. They would have had gangrene. Exactly. And, you know, it's um, it's a shame. I mean, the sort of, we want the one single answer. How did it happen? And It's very complicated. Well, it's. Yeah. I mean, like everything in life, there's at least two things involved and maybe as many as yeah. three, right? Um, <laughs> but no more than that. <laughs> And so, okay. So let's talk about. I was going to say, let's talk about the apologies. Oh, okay. Yeah. We still have to get to that. Yes. 
We do. Um, so there's an apology from Ann Putnam, interestingly enough, in 1706, which is um, after the other apologies that we'll talk about in a minute. But um, she offered a public apology for her participation. She stood in church while her apology was read, saying, I desire to be humbled before God. It was a great delusion of Satan that deceived me in that sad time. I did not do it out of anger, malice, or ill will. And she's the only one of the girls to make an apology um, and uh, there's some speculation that she may have been manipulated by her parents into accusing oh, people. 100%. i am holding my finger up in the air, and I'm waving yeah. it back and forth, and I'm like, 100%. Yeah. Really? Yeah. I, I fully believe. Um, I don't think it's as simple as a family feud between the Putnams, who were the more agrarian, and were seeing their wealth disappear, right? Because yes. not only uh, Anne's father, but also her mother lost uh, an expected inheritance. Um, uh. So, wah, right? Um, but the Putnams brought in Paris, and it was in the Paris household that the witchcraft started right. sparking, right? Right. Which only proved to a Puritan that we're doing the right thing because the devil's attacking us. Aha. Yes. And so that yeah. makes the Putnams goodly by extension. Right. Right. Also, uh, George Burroughs, the minister who was accused of witchcraft, previous minister um, prior to Paris arriving, um, had owed the Putnam family money. He borrowed money from them when he, while he was working in town, mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. it took him several years to pay it back. And so, surprise, wow. surprise, who's the leader yeah. of the witches? Well, the previous minister who was here who took a long time to pay my dad back. Right. I see. Um, and also the fact that uh, Thomas Putnam, Aunt's father, is the guy who who oiled the legal machinery by writing out uh, accusations. So it wasn't enough just to like accuse somebody of being a witch. They had to file a formal written complaint, and Putnam oh. did that for many of the girls. Wow. Right. And so, yeah, I, Thomas Putnam uh, definitely was was getting he had his, his hand own in back. It. Um, yeah. yeah, and then we'll see. I've heard. Oh, and then the witch trials just kind of stopped. It's so mysterious. No, it's not mysterious at all. The girls eventually uh, blamed, accused, not blamed, one of the judge's wives. Uh, some guy, I think his last name's Hale. But then they also blamed Governor Phipps' wife, mm-hmm. Lady Phipps. And mm-hmm. Governor Phipps had just been newly appointed as governor of Massachusetts Bay Colony, which extended from the Boston area up to Nova Scotia. I mean, wow. this is big fucking territory. That's there's a, lot, a of lot of money, a lot of power, and there's a lot of prestige and a lot of responsibility. And so mm-hmm. Governor Phipps, who's the guy who said, I mean, you know, none of this happened in a vacuum. It wasn't Salem Town saying, we're going to prosecute some witches Governor Phipps is the one who okayed the courts to happen, right? He's the one that that said, "Yep, this is legal. Let's go ahead and do this. We'll have we'll have this court occur." Which um, I'm not getting out of the boring legal stuff. It was called Oyer and Terminer. I just love saying Oyer, um, right? And so cool. And in that court setting, spectral evidence could be admitted. Um, mm. Spectral evidence is a ghost bit me, or I I saw this woman flying in the air, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Cool, right? And that that's taken as concrete, real things that happened. Um, and so many, most every of the witches were, 
was were convicted on um, hello brain on spectral evidence. The minute Governor Phipps' wife is accused, right? Mm-hmm. He closes that court down. He writes a letter to England, letting them know what's been going on. Hey, guys, it's been so crazy over here. (laughs) I've got it under control, though, right? Right. Because I've stopped it. So he stops the court of Oyer and Terminer, which allowed for spectral evidence. And he opens a new court, a lesser court, which is judiciary something, something, right? And... That court does not allow spectral evidence. So there were I see. about 200 people who were imprisoned for witchcraft who were found guilty, yeah. right? Yeah. 20 of them were executed. The remaining 150 faced this other secondary lesser court, uh, and they were all found not guilty or inconclusive, wow. right? And so it shut down because it got too close to home. Uh-huh. And Governor gotcha. Phipps saw where this was going to go, Right. And he was going to look stupid to England. The witch craze yeah. kind of started to die down in yeah. in Europe, right? Um, and so, yeah. And then, of course, this is to me is interesting. Witches in Europe were burned, but in England and America were hanged. Why? What's the difference? So to be a witch in a Catholic country is a heresy, and heretics mm-hmm. are burned. Mm-hmm. To be a witch in a country that had been accused of heresy of breaking away from the Catholic Church, they're going to be real careful right. about throwing that H word around. Um, right. So witches were considered felons, and felons were executed by hanging. I see. So uh, that's why Americans and the English hanged their witches. There were Scottish witches that were burned, I think. Um but, you know, uh, throughout the rest of Europe, and we can safely say tens of thousands of people were executed yeah. over hundreds of years for, you know, being a witch. Um, okay, wow. so I can say I've got a longer apology from Anne Putnam and uh-huh. that she does a lot of work. Let me read it to you and tell you if you get the same take okay. on it that I have. Okay. Okay. And I'm not going to do a dramatic reading because that would be mocking somebody. And I don't do that often. Um, I desire to be humbled before God for that sad and humbling providence that befell my father's family in the year about 92, that I then being in my childhood should, by such a providence of God, be made an instrument for the accusing of several people for grievous crimes. And it goes on and on and on like that, um, where not her fault. You know, this thing that had happened in my dad's house. Yeah. And then I was a tool for it. Right. And it does come down to the devil made me do it. Um, she does apologize for having been the chief instrument in uh, good wife nurse's execution. And uh, for that, she's uh, very sorry and very, very willing to lie down in the dust. So, I, we might be in different places. I can see that look on your face. Well, I'm thinking she was just a kid. So, um, when did when was the apology written in seventy something? Uh, no, not seventy something. Well, uh, let's see. I have it here. Was it 17? nine years later? 
1706. Okay. So 92. 13. Eight and 6 is 13. 14. So, yeah, 13. So she was in her 20s when she made the apology. Um. I think it's fine. It's obviously a lie. I'd give it a two. (laughs) See, so I just flipped there, right? Yeah. I would have said "Mm, two, three, right? Yeah. Um, But you're right. So it is a, it is an excuse. It's not really an apology. I mean, there were no witches. Nobody was a witch. There, well, there, but, there was but, no but, such thing as a witch. Let's, let's say even in a world where we believe in witches, right? Okay. It, even, even in the world, witches are real uh, because right. God is real. And that's the other thing too, right? Part of George Burroughs' letter where he was like, guys, there's no such thing as witches, right? The mm-hmm. judges were like, okay, what's next? You don't believe in witches. Then you're not going <laughs> to believe in the devil. And then you're not going to believe in God. I mean, don't be right. crazy. Yeah. Right? Come on. Yeah. So... Of course, there's witches. So yeah, there's <laughs> witches, but these people weren't witches, and and I was deluded, um, and so you know what? I I give it a four because you're right. She was a kid, but initially my my thing was it's a one, it's a one or a two. Yeah, but she you just tugged kid, at my so, heartstring. So that she didn't really know what she was doing, but at the same time, you know, when I was twelve or thirteen, I don't think I would have been accusing anybody of being a witch. Or uh, doing something they didn't do. I mean, I may have been very young, but I'm I wasn't an idiot. So yeah, so definitely a two. Definitely a two. Uh, There were a couple of other apologies. Uh, One of them from that minister Samuel Sewell or Sewall Sewell, who um, who stepped forward five years later. Uh, He'd been a judge, judge. Um, and also, I mean, all of the judges were ministers, um, and. And I believe they were all Harvard educated, but don't hold me to that. But for sure, they were educated men. Um, so, you know, he was one of the only ones to come forward and say, hey, wow, I really screwed up and I'm pretty sorry about that. Um, yeah, he admitted. I mean, he said that he had sinned, that it was a sin and he was hoping that God would not um punish him for his sin and would also prevent him from sinning again in such a way in the future. Yeah. Uh, and Reverend Paris, whose household this all started in and who may have uh, fed the fire a bit, so to speak, um, made an apology in a sermon that he delivered uh, five years later. So I don't know if that sermon was in Salem or out, or he left Salem after his wife died. It, people didn't want him around. Um and so basically he says, um, the matter being so dark and perplexed as there is no present appearance that all God's servants should be same altogether of one mind in all circumstances touching the same, I do most heartily, fervently, and humbly beseech pardon of the merciful God through the blood of Christ of all my mistakes and trespasses in so weighty a manner. And it goes on like that uh, for another good couple of lines. And yeah, so um, not a lot of apologies what would have caused these people to apologize? Do you think they just felt guilty, or was there something going on that would have required them to apologize? Well, Anne wanted to be a full member of the church, and only through okay. confession um, could she be. And by 13 years later, after the Salem witch trials, um, 
you know, understood enough that the people were innocent. And so she was guilty of having put people to death, which is a sin. So it was salvation of her soul. Um, she lived, I think, for nine years after that period. She never married. Uh-huh. And she just, uh, she, her parents died. Um, she took over raising the kids and just right. stayed the female in charge of the Putnam family until right. her death uh, nine years later. So unfortunate. Now, I don't know if she didn't marry because nobody wanted to marry her. Right. Right. What I do know is uh, there was a lot of stigma that was attached to the Salem witch trials. So the Puritans were famous. I mean, we have so much information about the Salem witch trials. We have diaries. Mm -hmm. We have letters. We have invoices. We have bills. We have so much, right? And then not enough. Because these are people who documented every sparrow, every kernel of corn, every day, every moment of life. And what happened was Governor Phipps laid down an edict at some point during the trials where it was like, nobody can write about these or discuss these. This cannot appear in the press, right? And and some records have disappeared. Some, some of the judges, so there's, uh, according to historians, I haven't researched this for myself, but some historians will tell you that there's a blizzard of letters pre-trial and then a blizzard of letters in the post-trial era between the same judges, but mysteriously there are no letters exchanged between the judges during this very crucial period when they were doing God's work on earth, right? And it's believed that people just simply, and maybe not the judges themselves, but maybe their descendants burned material. The papers, so, yeah. So in some levels, there are some, um, there's some missing documentation. But yeah, I mean, awful. And here we are, one of our longest episodes, an hour and a half in, um, Hard to, am I miscounting? No, I don't know. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was like, oh, that doesn't look like just, I, I'm right. Maybe it would be great if it was only 13 minutes. Like, 13 minutes. Oh, let me tell you what happened. Gonna... Right. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, there were a couple more apologies, Samuel Sewell and then the Salem jury themselves um, apologized saying that they, uh, we justly fear that we were sadly deluded and mistaken, for which we are much disquieted and distressed in our minds, and there, to therefore humbly beg forgiveness, first of God, for Christ's sake, for this our error. Um, and they ask uh, forgiveness of everyone, which is actually a pretty nice apology. Um, I would give that apology of the jury probably a six. I'm going to say so. that gets higher than um, Ann Putnam. Um, yeah. Right? Because they admit what they did. They said they were sorry. They said they didn't want it, they wouldn't do it again they asked for forgiveness it was pretty good yeah and so not very halloweeny because it should have been full of like witches flying in the air and scary things happening but halloweeny you know witches yeah, halloweeny yeah and do you have any apologies that you'd like to make who's sorry now i do who's sorry now i do i have an apology um it's somebody that you know and oh, how exciting. Yes, uh, but I can't say her name because I haven't asked her if I could. So you'll know exactly who I'm talking about because I worked with her in a bookstore in a mall at B. Dalton's, and she worked at Record Bar. Um, and Wait, she worked at Record Bar? Uh-huh, she worked at Record Bar, um, which is the, for those faithful listeners, the record store that Juliet had worked in. She worked at corporate. Yeah. She worked at okay. the corporate office. 
right? Okay. And, um, oh, you for sure know her uh, because okay. your parents were friends with one of, with the parents of one of her friends. And I know that. What right? the hell? Okay. Anyway. Um, okay. Oh, do we have chat in this Zoom thing? <laughs> Sorry, audience. I have to. I have to respect the. Uh, oh, okay. yes, I know yes, yes, yeah, yes, okay. yes. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And of I course. loved her. Of she course. was amazing and awesome. I know you guys were great friends. Yeah. Well, I hero worship a thousand percent yeah. hero worship. Um, yeah. I remember when. Uh, so I worked in. I worked in this bookstore. I worked with this uh, woman. I was in high school, and uh, my mom had just died. And I was working in the bookstore because I loved books, but also yeah. I was living with a family and uh, things weren't going great. I was very much yeah. uh, an outsider there and was just like, oh, so I tried to stay out of the house as much as possible. So a job was the thing to do. Right. Yeah. And so it all worked out great. And I thought that uh, that she was hysterical and I'm just going to call her yeah. she and her and it's going to be annoying. Sorry. And. And I closed a lot because closing yeah. meant that I would get back to the house and everybody would be asleep or ready to go. So I'm not there all night long. Right. Cool. Right. Giving you your space. And thank you. Thank you for the room. Uh, they will be a future apology later, I'm sure, one day. So mm -hmm. uh, one night I was laughing like a maniac and she said to me, you laugh at everything I say. Your home life must be <laughs> terrible. Right. <laughs> and I said, yeah, you're right. And she said, oh, gosh, I'm sorry. And I know that she had meant to slam this annoying high school boy, right, who was just, like, always following her around like a puppy dog and just thought she was, like, amazing, right? And I'm sure that was annoying because hero worship is annoying when it's not, when you don't want it. And I know that for a fact. And so... <laughs> um, Anyway, we she then we became friends, right? Like real friends, yeah. right? And yeah. the hero worship calmed down a bit, but I was still uh, really, really, really enjoyed her. Then I moved to LA, and then I came back to North Carolina to visit you and another friend of mine who lived there, and to see my uh, bookstore friend. And I went over to my bookstore friend's house and had dinner, and we watched TV, and it was really nice. And then the next day, I was at my other friend's house, so not your house. And they called and uh, my bookstore friend called and left a message and said, hey, we're doing this thing and why don't you come over and do this thing with us, right? But I didn't call her back. I had so much going on. I was breaking up with my boyfriend at the time who, who was back in LA. As a matter of fact, when I flew back to LA early, he left to go marry his cousin. It's a whole other long story. Um, yeah. And so... Uh, I never called her back and I never called her back. Um, wow. I know. And I didn't call her back because she did something wrong. I didn't call her back because I was just so emotionally overwhelmed with, oh my God, I'm going to have to support myself. And oh my God, I'm going to like, what's going to happen. But at the same time, I can't continue on with the way things are. And so my whole life wow. was falling down around me. Uh, right. leaving me very few pieces to build to put it back together again. And so, um, and then, you know, the 80s, 90s being what they were, uh, did I have her telephone number? Probably, but 
I just got so caught up in everything. And then I think at a certain point, shame overcame me. Like, oh my God, yeah, it's been three really months weird. and I yeah. didn't call her back, so I should. So my mm-hmm. apology goes to my bookstore slash record bar friend who uh, I was 20? 19, 20, 20, maybe. I don't know that I was 21. Um, I don't know. Uh, don't know, but I'll tell you this. I wasn't older than 21. Um, yeah. I was 21. Um, and so my apologies. Uh, and that doesn't sound real or sincere. It is. I just don't know how to apologize for what it is that I did, which was not calling you back. You didn't do anything wrong at all. It just initially was overwhelming. I didn't have a space or time to think about anything other than me and what was going to happen with my life. I also didn't have a car, which would have involved getting a friend to drive me over there or having them come pick me up. And it just felt like so much, too many things happening. Yeah. 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 I'm so, sure she would have understood, but I understand. I understand yeah, how that happened. Yeah. Well, she lives I in Salem. You. Oh, she does? Yes. So because of oh, my wow. Google stalking skills, because of the you guilt know. I carried for years and still her. carry. I think it, well, I can't get her email. Weirdly, her telephone Uh number is, seems to be available online. Um, (laughs) And uh, I thought about it, but I was like, oh my God, if I got that phone call, I'd be like, what? Why are you calling me? (laughs) No, I don't think it's amazing that you called me or weird, right? You've been Uh out of my life for 30 years. Uh, No, thanks. Right. Um, I mean, maybe if she called me, I'd be like, oh, my God, I'd be so I pro- I mean, me being me, I'd be excited by anybody who called me. Um, <laughs> but, you know, if somebody disappeared from my life and then called me, I might have some hurt feelings and be like, yeah, what up? Right. And if they were like, yeah. oh, I was getting divorced and everything would be like. Okay, could you call me a year later? My phone number didn't yeah, change. For- yeah, that's funny because it shows you how how weird and, and in a way innocent losing contact with people like that can be. Like you know, she may have the story in her head that something terrible happened that she didn't know about. Well, you know, she said something terrible while you were at her house that night, and you never want to speak to her again. Or she might have some story about how some, she did something wrong. Whereas what really happened was that you were just super overwhelmed, and then you were too embarrassed to call her again. I never thought about it in those terms before. I never thought that she would think anything other than I was a total jerk and an asshole. (laughs) I never thought she might have any guilt. I seriously never, like you, you are, wow. I just put myself in her shoes and I would totally be like, what did I say? What did I do? Obviously, they don't want to speak to me again. I must have done something horrible. But that's just my thinking. That's just me. I mean, she may be a very healthy person and (laughs) not feel that way. (laughs) Well, it's been long enough now. I'm sure she'd just be like, what the fuck do you want? Do I owe you money? <laughs> yes, you do owe me money. That's funny. All right. So what about you? Who's sorry now? Well, I have kind of a similar story, actually. Um, when I was, I don't know how old I was. I don't know. At some point between my in my 20s, late 20s, maybe, I moved out to California. And um, I had um, several boyfriends at the time, actually. Uh, one of whom was... All at the same um, time? One, all at the same time. Good for you. And... Yeah, and one of them is the one I'm talking about now. And when I drove out to California, um, he was probably one of my favorite of the people I was dating. And we were pretty close. Um, 
And, you know, I left and, you know, I, I obviously we weren't that close because I decided to leave and move to California. So it wasn't that yeah. great a relationship. And, and it wasn't it wasn't really going anywhere. I didn't think I was going to get married to him or anything like that. I didn't want really want that to happen. And I don't think he really wanted that either. So it was just it, one way to end a relationship. You're just but dating. when I drove, we were dating. And when I drove out to California, he gave me a micro cassette that he had recorded, um, like his thoughts or whatever, on um, for me to listen to on my drive out to California. And I never listened to it. To this day, I still have this micro cassette. I found it when I was cleaning out the, the storage closet. To this day, I have never listened to that cassette. And it could have been him saying, we're breaking up. This isn't going to work. It could have been him saying, please marry me. I love you forever. It could have been anything. I mean, th that's where our relationship was. It could have literally been any of those things. And I have no idea. To this day, and I'm never, I'm going to go to my grave not knowing what it was on that video. Oh, no, you're not, because next week's episode no, is going to be playing that <laughs> micro-recording, and we're all going to listen to it, and then judge and rate oh, your my apology. God. So uh, my apologies to him for not listening to his thing, but I mean, I just felt like there was something on there that I didn't want to hear. I don't know Clearly, what it was. He didn't listen to it. I don't know what it. it was, but I, I just didn't want to hear it. So um, I hope it wasn't anything terrible or anything that he was trust entrusting to me because I obviously failed. And later on, I wrote to him and said, you know, I never listened to that cassette that you gave me. And I hope there wasn't, you know, I hope it, that's okay, but that's just the way it is. Well, <laughs> so I feel sorry about it. You, you at least told him, right? Yeah, so, yeah, I didn't want him to think that he had asked me to marry him, and I just ignored him. Sure. So or whatever, but yeah. <laughs> okay, so what would you have done? Let's play this game. You're driving cross country, and you play the cassette, and it says, uh -huh. "I love you. I want to marry you. You're the only person for me." Does that car get turned <laughs> around right away, and you're back in North Carolina, or is it like, no. oh, the guilt? No, it would have been more like, well, let's see how this goes, long distance kind of thing. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, that's kind of where it was anyway, so it would have been no big deal. But I would not have turned around and gone back for sure. So well, I ended up marrying the right person, Brent. Of course, right. And you would have, <laughs> if you had married that guy, you guys would have gotten divorced and it would have been ugly. So really, you oh, did yeah. everybody a favor. I did. America's I really did. hero once again. And now he's married to someone else, which I found several years ago by stalking people on Facebook. So, I know, isn't it great? Uh, and I'm, I'm sure he's very happy. So good for him. Of course, he is. Everything worked yeah. out exactly the way it was supposed to. Um, Absolutely. And hooray for that. I was going to say, just like at the Salem Witch Trials, but that's not. Yeah. yeah, and the birth of season two. So season one, we started off with, this is going to be our thing. Every new season, our first episode has to be two hours long. Okay, that works. That's our tradition now. <laughs> oh, and we also have a bit of news. So we're going to be interviewed, right? Yes. By a podcast. A podcast called Metapod, which maybe maybe they won't ever put us on the air. I don't know, but um, we're going to be interviewed by them anyway, and that's going to happen next Tuesday for uh, airing. We don't know when, maybe never. Um, but they're a great podcast, so check them out. Metapod, um, they they talk about podcasts. They do, and they have given me so many nightmares because <laughs> the stress of. Oh, my God. Like, they talk to journalists who've been in Afghanistan and had bombs explode. That's not... We just found these microphones and, like, <laughs> turned them we on. We just, uh, on a whim, started talking to each other. <laughs> exactly. I've never seen this woman before until last year. Uh, so great. it's our one-year anniversary, too. <laughs> we're, we're chat random uh, podcasters. That's right. That's Oh, my God. That's hilarious. Uh, all right. Well, everyone, thank you very much for listening to thank us. Thank you Go very on much. On. 
Um, we really appreciate it, and we will see you next week with another exciting episode of the Apologies Accepted. And happy Halloween. Bye. listening to Apologies Accepted, the podcast. You can find links to the articles and the sources in the show notes. To submit an apology or find out more, visit us at ApologiesAccepted.net, where you can also find our merchandise. We're on Twitter at Apologies Accepted. And on Instagram at Apologies.Accepted. You can support our important work at Patreon forward slash Apologies Accepted. And fuck Facebook. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Bye.